Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Casanari-King, and I am just delighted to be in the studio of Katie Swatland. Katie, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, I'm looking forward to this, and so many people are looking forward to this interview. So I am just so excited. I'm looking forward to you coming. Yeah, it's such a beautiful, peaceful place. Thank you. And really, again, I do thank you for having me in. It's just lovely. Your work is astounding, so... I think we all want to find out how did this occur? This is so amazing. So <laughs> if you don't mind, start off with um, maybe your earliest childhood memories of any artistic endeavors. Well, I grew up with a mother who was an artist. Okay. And we grew up in a very small little space. So when I went to bed at night, I could mm-hmm. see from my bed her easel. Oh. And when I wake up, up in the morning, I could see it. So she always stayed up late. So I would go to bed watching her paint. Yeah. And then I'd wake up in the morning and she'd be painting. And, um, there and were you all... thought she was up all night. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think I... I wonder. <laughs> it's funny. Okay, go ahead. I know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Maybe she was. Maybe she was, and I didn't know. <laughs> Maybe that's how she got all those paintings done. <laughs> but just growing up, there was always paintings everywhere in many different levels of finish and not finish. Yeah. Um, there was one particular one of a huge field above my bed that I remember always just staring at before bed. Mm. And um, I guess there was a butterfly in the field, but to me it always looked like this little man with like this bird like nose walking through the field. So I would have these dreams of this little man walking <laughs> through the field. And it wasn't until I had to have been like 14 or 15. And I said, why did you put that little bird man in? She's like, it's a butterfly. <laughs> My imagination as a child, you know, because it was a very impressionistic, yeah. beautiful field, and it makes sense now that there was a butterfly. Wow. Um, but I guess that was my earliest, and then she painted us a lot growing up. Um, oh. We went to the beach every day in the summer, mm-hmm. and so she would pack. And where work. was that? I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, okay. Okay. Um, but we also spent a good portion of the summer, almost every summer, out in Southern California where her sister lived my oh, aunt nice so that was really neat to like see the ocean the pacific yeah. ocean yeah it's different because uh, greenwich is um right on the sound so okay beautiful in a different way sure um so and that was back in the day when you could just take so much stuff on the plane and not get charged yeah so, <laughs> oh boy <laughs> i saw your mom coming <laughs> we had bags and bags of just dresses and hats and buckets and so she would um, have us dress up in all these clothing and just we could do whatever we want play and she would sketch and take wow. pictures and that was just um, oh, our friends awesome. would come yeah. I had a good friend Karen that she remembers dressing up and playing with me on the beach and we had we were fr- we're still friends to this day but um friends all growing up yeah so she's in a lot of paintings <laughs> oh well. I love that yeah um, so you were a first model <laughs> yes <laughs> my sister and I Yes. So I kind of understood kind of what she was looking for. Right. um, But really, she just let us be natural. We used to, there in in Greenwich, there's um, a lot of things you can find that when the tide goes out, there's a lot of tidal pools of Mm -hmm. little hermit crabs and Mm -hmm. the minnows. And we'd have the the nets to catch the minnows and kind of catch them and then release them. Wow. (laughs) Um, Just little fun things. I feel like I've seen one of these paintings. Is it in one of the... um books that probably maybe. maybe i'm not sure i think i gave a little history maybe it was on a, yeah i think i've seen one it's, and then it's if you, you google scotland also her oh, okay. will all come up oh lovely thousands of them all different varieties wow us playing on the beach wow that's wonderful so at what point did you start dabbling did she encourage you to no get she, into... i always loved mixing her colors 
Oh. But I didn't really, I mean, I drew a little bit, but I didn't really start drawing until after engineering school. But okay. I was always kind of around art. And I really? Went, yeah. It's, I know everyone's story is how I drew from yeah. when I was really young. Yeah. Okay. That was so that. tell us about engineering school. What made you do that? Um, I really loved math. And wow. Physics. I bow down. <laughs> I think if you think about it as a, it's just another language to describe how nature works, it yeah. becomes less intimidating. Yeah. And I think prior to going to to college, I always knew that I wanted to be an artist, even though I hadn't really like painted. I just knew that I, I wanted to do it, but I also knew that I was so in love with the language of art that if I was going to go to college, I really wanted to go for something that was really challenging and could teach me something that maybe I couldn't pick up elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, my mom always said that she always learned the best or learned the most after art school when yeah. she could pick and choose her teachers. Sure. And so I kind of followed that model and I thought, well, if I ever have any questions, I can ask her and I'll study after, after school. And, um, I loved it. I loved going. I loved going to engineering school. I loved finding yeah. like the old libraries, and um, I loved calculus actually. And wow! When Calc four, as an engineering school student, you don't have a lot of um, choice as to the classes you pick, so they only take you up to Calc four. And I remember that year being so sad <laughs> that I couldn't go past Calc four. Oh my goodness! Just because it was so <laughs> beautiful to learn about yeah. things, and I would go to these libraries and I would draw out. I guess that's where my drawing comes in. I okay. would draw out a lot of the, we did a lot of graphs and visualizing, especially when we got into like three-dimensional objects and like rotating that in space. So there was like a lot of visual things to yeah. draw. And I made my own, still have it to this day, of like my own notes and all these beautiful crayons that I would bring to the wow. I would just go for hours. <laughs> wow. Like, where have you been? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's also where I picked up studying uh, Kung Fu. Okay. And break dancing. So you were introduced to those while you were in college? Prior to college. Okay. I saw some people break dancing and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do that. Wow. And no one of my no one of my friends are like, no. And I was like, yes. <laughs> it looks like bruises. So, this was this was back in the day before the internet. So there was this mm -hmm. this guy in my high school calculus class who got this like bootleg VHS tape of like how to break dance in New York City and I wow. was like oh my god thank you and so I would watch <laughs> it's so so, uh, so I would watch that in my room by myself yeah. and um try to figure out how to do the windmill and footwork and then when I got to college I found people who actually did it and wow. through them um they had a little crew um that we started they started and I jumped in and through them, I learned about this Kung Fu instructor who had trained in a monastery in China. Wow. And he um, taught in the inner city of Syracuse. So there was like maybe two or three of us that were around the same age that went. And he didn't believe in classes in like the traditional sense or belts or things of that nature. And you just pay, you just pay like, it was like 30 bucks and you go unlimited for a month. So we would wow. go from like four in the yeah. afternoon. <laughs> Sometimes we would train until like and 11 o'clock at night wow. and he would just teach us what he thought we were ready for wow it was such a unique experience yeah I for sure wish I could find that again actually because yeah. everything was so institutionalized mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. but um yeah it really day played day. into my childhood dream of you know wanting to become a Jedi and going wow. off into the woods and studying with Yoda you know <laughs> so, um, but that was really special and it taught a lot of discipline oh yeah and appreciation for the process which But yeah, so I threw myself into, because to balance engineering was really difficult. Um, so to balance out the workload, I needed something really physical. Okay, sure. Um, so that's why I did the Kung Fu, and that's why I'm a little bit of an extremist. <laughs> I just... You're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> when I decide to do something, like I go all in or I mm -hmm, just don't mm -hmm. do it at all, it's just... I've been that way since I was little. Yeah. Um, so I really threw myself into engineering. I threw myself into Kung Fu. And then the last two years, I backed off a little bit on the Kung Fu and threw myself in, more into breakdancing, yeah. which added um, gymnastics to my schedule, which was really fun. Because wow. going to college, is there's so many things like at your fingertips that are pretty much free if you go. Yeah. And if you search it out, there's so much to offer. So there was an after-school gymnastics club for about – 
an hour and a half he would go and these two gentlemen um, who are dear friends of mine now still would teach you anything you wanted to learn wow and they would they had all the tools and they would tell you like what to practice and so i did that to help my break dancing and it was yeah. just and what did you do with the breakdancing? Did you guys perform or did you? We had a crew where we practiced every every evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did some competition. I wasn't really into it for the competition. Yeah, right. um, I know we went to Toronto one time and uh, a friend of mine, there was like a girl competition. We won uh, $500 one time. Wow. It was just like a little fun thing. Yeah. But um yeah, that people people can do now. It's so amazing. It was really just um, it was a cool experience. So back to your question, we just we just kind of practice as a group. Yeah, good. Um, well, that sounds fascinating. So what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know if we asked what school were you at. Syracuse. Oh, uh, you State did say okay, sure, great. Yeah, and then so, so did, engineering. Yeah, and you were doing some drawing as in the engineering. You were in the summers. Um, I would study art. Okay. I would study Richard's uh, Prima book. My mom actually gave that to me. Okay. She knew Richard way before I did. Okay. Um, and so I would read his book, and I did all his color charts during the summer. Wow. And before I even picked up a brush, I was kind of reading about how to do it and oh how my to do gosh. the color charts. It really appealed to me. It was kind of like reading a math textbook because it was okay. so logical. Yep. And there was also the other thing about a math book is that there's so much in one sentence. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I just resonated with his book in that way is because there was so much just in one sentence so like I would just pour over right. word by word I have I can show you that there's like tons of notes and highlights <laughs> and like I even made my I made my own notes like I did with my art or with my math books oh, um, nice. so that that was in the summers I would say okay um, and then I upon graduation um, I I just loved it I didn't really go to like have good grades it just kind of happened because I loved it so much yeah and so I graduated with um a three nine yeah and then I had two full two offers for full scholarships to graduate school and uh, one of the projects was to study the airflow on the microscopic level off of um airplanes and come up with the equations because at that point they were kind of dismissing those, but now at that point they were thinking that it affected the performance a lot more than they thought. So uh-huh. that was one project I could have done. Wow. And the second project was studying airflow within a small space, like an office space, to see how disease could carry through mm-hmm. the office space. Yeah. And both projects, they just didn't make me Grab like, you. yeah, they mm-hmm. didn't make me really excited. And I had wanted mm-hmm. prior to you know, starting my first day, I knew that I had wanted to study art after yeah, college. Right. Um, and so I, I, I thought about it and I said, thank you, but I'm going to continue with my original plan and study art. And they all laughed at me. Really? They thought I was crazy. Yeah. One professor said, well, can you even draw? And I <gasps> said, well, I think I can figure it out. Cause I, you know, I just figured out like a lot of the <laughs> equations and both professors said, well, the offer stands for a year. If you oh. change your mind, you can come on. Oh, well, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I never went back. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I, um, I, at that time, luckily, some of um, the artists that I really loved were offering a chance to study with them, either through a workshop or... Yeah. Um, Richard was in a unique, uh, unique situation and turned out to be the most influential teacher, but I chose a small handful of artists, and I studied all around around the country nice um yeah and so that's happened. so did you jump right into oil or were you I doing did. other you did well because i had been reading all right months. yeah okay <laughs> so i had everything that, that he said to have influence. in the book with like you know, the palette and everything but um you know my understanding of the palette really came through studying with scott christensen okay. and limiting down the palette to three colors and that helped me understand Richard's palette a lot more. Okay. Because when first starting out, you know, you can say, oh, it's a warm and a cool of each color. Um, as a beginner, that, I mean, sort of made sense. Yeah. But it wasn't until I limited it, limited it down to three colors that I really understood, like, how the color works. And then when I started adding more colors, I okay. understood 
better their uh, significance and purpose and how they can be helpful. Okay. Otherwise, it can just be like, I don't know what note to y- pick. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you have a similar No, that's how I work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you play the um, violin, yeah. there's so many yeah. notes to pick from. Yeah. Wow. I like that analogy, too. So do you want to share this now with that? Oh, yeah. With that? Um, um, about your process and what influenced you early on. Okay. Um, so to me, art is far more than simply creating a drawing or a painting. I think it trickles down to how you prepare your tea, how you prepare to go to sleep, what mm-hmm. you do to wake up in the morning, how you mm-hmm. nourish your body. Mm-hmm. I think it's all connected. Um, and so I wanted to share this, this quote from this book called uh, Zen in Archery, or Zen in the Art of Archery. Mm-hmm. by Eugene Harrigal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says this. It says, One of the most significant features we notice in the practice of archery, and in fact all of the arts as they are studied in Japan and probably also in other far eastern countries, is that they are not intended for utilitarian purposes only or for purely aesthetic enjoyments, but are meant to train the mind, indeed, to bring it to contact with the ultimate reality. Archery Archery is, therefore, not practiced solely for hitting the target. The swordsman does not wield the sword just for the sake of outdoing his opponent. The dancer does not dance just to perform certain rhythmic movements of the body. The mind has first to be attuned to the unconscious. If one really wishes to be a master of art, technical knowledge is not enough. One has to transcend technique so that the art becomes artless art growing out of the unconscious. And so, in that way, I think everything we do and our approach to just living in general feeds, feeds our art. Mm-hmm. And while studying technique and drawing and anatomy is so very important, ultimately yeah. we learn all those things just to forget them so mm-hmm. that we can create freely. Right. That's why I started this, like, um, this inward journey. Mm-hmm. So I had mm-hmm. spent... It had, been, I, it had been 16 years because I count the four years in college okay, as summer. part of yeah. my, tra- my art training. Okay. Um, I know it's a little bit um, unconventional, mm-hmm. um, but it really, I think, made me into the artist who I am today. Sure. So I count those four years. And okay. so, so after 16 years of like intense study and after college, I studied with a lot of people that I admired their work, um, mm-hmm. but who were also able to make a living from it. And I read books and books, and I went to so many different museums studying how other people did it. And I took so much time trying to study yeah. how to do something, how to, like, how to take care of your materials, how to create the best working materials, and, and how to see color and form yeah. and composition. And I, I, read, I took in so much information that, that at one point I just had to stop and say, okay, well, what was this all for? Right. And I had to kind of step back. And that's why I decided I was, I didn't, I didn't want to have any more influence. I, mm. wanted, I felt like I had come to a point where I knew enough to, to figure out what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I had a s- certain amount of skill where I could um, paint what I wanted, just paint what I wanted. Um, but now it came the question of, well, what am I going to paint and why? Why? So that's why I took that first step inward because I wanted to kind of go back to that person, that girl right. that first started who wanted to learn about art. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted, because I had lost, you, you, you lose that a little mm-hmm. bit when you go through and you learn, especially if you have like, teachers and you, and you see how other artists are doing things, it, it feeds into you yeah. and it becomes part of you. But then you have to come to a point where you say, well, what's me? Right. And what's them? Yeah. And what am I going to see? And what am I going to create now that I've learned enough technique to at least, you know, not throw the paintings in the, in the closet and start crying, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes from, you know, yeah. So that's why I started right. that first image. And I hear that a lot from, from artists. Um, I haven't studied with many many people and I've only studied a few years but 
you know, I can definitely see how in the beginning I was less intimidated and it's almost like the more I know now, I, I think I, I'm picking up so much from so many that I'm like, well, well yeah. now, now what's me? <laughs> and you have to do that to some level, to some extent. You have to kind of take on how they do something because that, I think, is how you learn why they do something. Mm-hmm. You learn how to problem solve and and yeah, the reason behind them doing something. So I think it's important. I think it's part of the process to imitate. I know I looked like a lot of my teachers um, early on, and I think that's just a natural process. Sure. But I think ultimately you can't escape yourself. Yeah. So ultimately, as long as you're continuing to practice and do the work, you will inevitably mm. come out. I mean, you write the way you do because it's you. Yeah. So I think... Some people get afraid, oh, well, you know, I don't want to look, have it look like someone. And I think there's a, there's a, an allowable time for you to, to see how someone else does it and understand it. And the really only way to do that is to like go through that process. Of mm-hmm. And so it's going to look like them. Right. But then you grow out of it. It's, a, it's I think it's a growing period. Yeah, it's a stage. Yeah. So tell us about that isolation and how that, that was the impetus for it. And, um, yeah, I just got to a point where I wanted to yeah, connect back to myself mm-hmm. and kind of paint the paintings that I had been thinking about when I first began to paint, but didn't quite know how to do that. Oh, okay. So that, that was a question I had. You said these have been in your head for a long time. Many, many, yeah. many years. Yeah. And you yeah. just never felt quite the the technical ability? Yeah. Or, That's oh, good. really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was a lot. I didn't feel that I knew how to execute it. Okay. And then I finally felt ready back in, I guess it was January of 2016. Mm-hmm. And I felt confident enough in my ability that I could put into put on canvas kind of what I had been envisioning. And I wanted to do it without any external influence, yeah. good or bad. I didn't want to look um, at what other artists were doing, living or mm. not with us anymore. Um yeah, I, even I didn't allow people to come in because even just a comment of "Oh, that's nice," yeah, it gets into you. I didn't want it, yeah. And I just wanted to make sure that it was purely coming from right. With, and I know that's an extreme and a drastic thing to do, and I'm sure not everybody has to like shut everybody out. And, yeah. But for me, that's what I felt was necessary. Right. And to be quiet, because mm-hmm. it's only in those quiet times where you can really listen to like that inner voice inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's, and I was only going to give myself three months. Right. I said three months. Right. <laughs> I can do it in three months. <laughs> and? And was I wrong? <laughs> oh. um, the amount of, and I'm still not finished. Yeah. Um, but the amount of work that needed to be done. Three months in, you know, as I was approaching the three-month mark, I got really anxious because I felt like I was running out of time. Oh, okay. And I said, this is silly. Like, Time is just this made-up concept. Right. Why? What? What happens if you don't finish it in three months? Yeah. So I decided that I was just going to go in deeper, and so I covered my clocks. And if you can see behind you, oh. my clocks are covered with the word "breathe." Okay. <laughs> nice. And I hid my calendar, and every couple weeks or every however long I felt, I would check in just to make sure like business emails were okay. Yeah. Because I I sell those lessons online and certain things, and make sure that there was nothing pressing. But ultimately, it was. Um, I didn't look. I didn't look at what time it was during the day, and you yeah. kind of fall into a rhythm. Yeah, it I, must. I did it this when I nice. was. Yeah, I did this when I was in college, actually. Okay. There was so much homework and so much to do yeah. that I just didn't want to know what time it was, and it oh. was. I ended up knowing. I ended up getting a lot more accomplished when I stopped obsessing over what time it was and how wow. much time I had. So I thought, well, if it worked, then I ended up getting to class on time. And I don't know, things just worked out. So I was like, well, why won't it work now? Yeah. So I I did it. And about 28 months, I guess, but yeah, 28 months into it, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I think I'm at a point now where at least I can start sharing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there was a lot of uh, new stuff that I was doing with. Uh, reflective materials such as glass and mica and gold leaf. So I, 
had I needed that time to figure out how to do it because I hadn't seen it done anywhere. Yeah. At least in the way that I had was envisioning it. Okay. Um, so that was a big learning curve. Um, but yeah, at about 20 months, I was like, okay, I think I have this under control enough that I and a solid enough foundation in what the vision for this project was that it'd be a good chance to open up my doors, share with people, mm-hmm. and share how I'll do the remaining three. So all these paintings that you see, yeah. I did them all in anticipation for different elements that I would have in those big paintings. Okay. Yeah, they're beautiful studies, if that's what you call them. Yeah. <laughs> Gorgeous <laughs> works of art here. Just beautiful. So that was June 11th that you came out of the isolation. Is there any significance to those dates? Were they both the 11th? I have this relationship with the number 11. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. I'm not quite sure what it is. What it is. Okay. But it was um, my dorm room in college was six eleven. Oh. I randomly see eleven when I was a child yeah. everywhere. So I just it's this number that keeps occurring. Yeah. I don't know if there's necessarily a specific significance, okay. just that it, I yeah. I feel better on eleven. So I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it. January eleventh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there's something about Works the eleventh, yeah. I like it. So um, how has that carried over now that you've kind of come out of that seclusion? How has, have you been able to take parts of your day where you kind of shut down or parts of your week or? Yeah, there's a lot of things that I carried over. Like I still keep my phone on silent. Hmm. Um, and so I have to look at it to see. Yeah. Unless I might, like I knew you were coming today. Yeah. Um, so certain things like that, because even just a phone call when you're in the middle of yeah. focusing can really pull you out and take you down another route. And then an hour or two later, you're like, where was I? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I found that I've been needing to reconfigure what that balance is mm. because taking in, I'm one of those people, I don't know if you're like this, but you can take on the feelings of things that are happening around you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like so much that it almost is like your own, yeah. but it's not. Right. Right. So there's been... It's, I think it's one of the worst things we can do as humans is to take on other people's, especially close people around us. Yeah. Take on their offenses to other people and take on their problems, which of course we want to help. We're not, you yeah. know, but it's... it's Just hard. like sometimes I just like don't want to move and I yeah. feel... And, I, and that's not... The, yeah, a lot of the same feelings of why I wanted to shut everything out were yeah. coming up again. But yeah. I know it's not the... Yeah. I want to connect. Right. And I want to share in this art um, with people because that's where you grow and you learn things. Right. And human connection is so important. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm trying to figure out. So taking the time to breathe. Yeah. Well, well I can say that you are such a light. Um, you know, in the middle of all this stuff on Facebook and Instagram, Katie comes up. I'm like, oh, there's some breath right there. Just <laughs> fresh air. <laughs> I'm so, so glad you said that because I hope for that. And I, I hope I want to add to that. Yeah, point. you are. You are and it, it gives me hope for oh, humanity. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Thank it you does. So much. I mean, we all need something that gives us hope. And I think that that's. Part of your mission. Well, <laughs> Sorry, funny. I don't want to put this. No, it's funny you say that because for a long time you go back and forth. Why am I sharing something? Yeah, and I think ultimately, like, there's good and bad with everything. But what a beautiful free tool that we have. Yeah, to reach a lot of people, and if I can offer some light, yeah, I want to be able to do that. Yeah. And it also it helps me mm-hmm. be able to mm-hmm. articulate and. You know, there's always going to be negativity, but if, yeah. if there is a way you can just can contribute positively. Yeah. And for me, it's a when I see your stuff, it's a real reminder for me, not just to breathe. It's going to be okay. And take some time for me and for that. Like you say, the you have to have something before you can give. And yes. if you don't take care of the nurturing of yourself, what do you have to give? Yes, exactly. So. And I think, um, so with my, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of my friends that I had, my close ones now I've reconnected with and they understood, but a lot of people didn't understand what I was mm. doing. And, you know, months would go by and I didn't return their phone calls or I hadn't reached out. And, you know, it's hard to take that personally, yeah. but reconnecting again, you know, to explain that 
I needed to heal myself and mm. have this time in order to be present. Right. They really understood. Yeah. Um, so, and that back to the breath thing, mm. I always find in a painting, I always get in trouble and I've noticed that I've stopped breathing. Oh. Or like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like too tense in the shoulders or something. Yeah. And I always find that that's like the first thing yeah. that happens. And then like things yeah. go downhill and you have to kind of like recalibrate, mm-hmm. go back to the breath. And that's what I found going mm-hmm. through this reconnecting period of opening my studio doors and talking with people yeah. and being out and seeing people Yeah, <laughs> that I've had to do that. Cause sure. Cause it can really like yeah. make you, Oh, nervous. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I understand. Um, no, I think it's wonderful that you were able to do that. And at such a young age, you know, I don't think most what people do you think understand. I'm young? Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> well, I'm kind I feel of like I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> no, I mean, most of us don't even understand half this till we're, you know, 50s, you know. And then we're like, oh, gee, maybe. Mm. Yeah. I felt like I was a late bloomer because I came kind of late to art. Like when I first started art, there were all these people who were my age, but who had, you know, gone to art school right out of, out of high oh, school. Oh, okay, right. You know, so right. I just felt like, oh, I'm yeah. a little behind. Oh, <laughs> not at all. So um, talk a little bit, if you would, about the collections or series that you've done. You've done the Prelude collection, and then the one you're doing now is called the, I just had it, where'd it go? The Alchemy Visions. The Alchemy Visions, of course, right, so which you're in the middle of. The Prelude collection, the name came to me after it was basically i call the prelude collection anything i did prior to the alchemy visions okay okay so it's all those paintings i did when Mm -hmm. i was really in the trenches of learning how to paint yeah and i know we will always be learning how to paint till the day we are no longer here but i mean there's there's an exponential curve where you're like really in the trenches of like figuring out right how paint works on the canvas yeah that alone is like a whole (laughs) podcast it sure is (laughs) Oh, so boy. anything prior to that day that I started on January 11th, I, I refer to as the okay. prelude. It was just a way to like organize it. Mm-hmm. And so the Alchemy Visions collection was just a group of paintings that I've had kind of living in my imagination for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And um, it consists of four large, four roughly four by eight feet canvases at the heart of the collection. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they kind of explore these opposing energies, um, and you'll see once the other three come into being. But for example, you saw the sunset one today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's all about last light. Yeah. And so the opposite to that one, because it'll be shown in, in a rectangle, the opposite to that one will be a sunrise. Mm-hmm. And then the other two will explore this energy opposition um, with figures, and they'll be a full, two full-size figures. Mm-hmm. And I can explain that more, but... That's basically the essence of it and working with light and how um, the interaction of light through these reflective materials and how they can interact with the viewer and the painting. And like you said, uh, the initial idea for this was to capture a painting to work like the ocean does, where you look at the ocean and it constantly is changing in color and light Mm -hmm. depending on how light is you know, cast on it. Right. And so my idea with using these reflective materials and, you know, doing all these types of different characters was to explore um, light and have these paintings kind of morph and change into uh, different things as different light comes on. Like I was showing you earlier when we walked around, Mm -hmm. um, different lighting can show up different um, elements of the paintings that you didn't see before, right. like the two stars that come out yeah. in that in that big painting, yeah. and just uh, this little nuances. It's beautiful. Um, and then when I finish this, yes, I would love to start. Um, I don't have a name for it yet, um, but it has to do with trees, mm. and I would like to paint them on a really really grand scale so that you feel <laughs> standing before them, you can kind of walk into them, mm. and I'd like to paint uh, the trees after a rainfall or in the dew and the colors are really saturated mm. and incorporate a lot of the pieces of bark um, that I showed you that I've been collecting mm-hmm. um, to get this kind of like sculptural feel. And I'd like to do it in a way where you're not really sure which is bark and which is paint. Oh, interesting. So a very subtle like sculptural okay. way. 
and um, something that you kind of want to go up and just kind of yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) I love that. So you you have the next series already in your mind and just wanting to come out. I love it. But I have to finish these three large paintings first. Yeah. So the remaining three. The remaining three. They're called yes. And um, people can kind of follow this. You're doing some videos. Yes. YouTube. So I haven't started them officially yet. I've been kind of reconnecting and and, um, through Instagram and sharing daily just about what I've been doing. But this week I actually start to go back into the studio Mm -hmm. and start that process. And I'll be sharing, you know, every day what I'm doing. Nice. And kind of they can follow along to see how these paintings will evolve. And what's the best way to follow? Facebook, Instagram? Both. Both. And that will direct. Yeah, when I post to Instagram, it directly posts okay. to Facebook, so it's okay. it's one and the same. Yeah, I'm trying to move. I don't know whether or not to go to Facebook or Instagram, so I'm just I doing know, them both. But it's just my name, and then through my YouTube channel. Right now, there are eight videos that tour the collection, oh, okay. and I'll continue to add more and process videos. I also want to do like a tour of the studio and mm. things like that. So YouTube, nice. Instagram, and Facebook, all my name, Katie Swatland. That would be nice. Lovely, lovely. Okay, and I think you have some really cool event ideas. Can we can we talk a little about those? You're so I they're so unique. So so cutting edge. I want to be able I don't know if it's going to be possible. I'm hoping that yeah. I find a way to be able to share this collection yeah. as a whole. And I really believe that art comes alive through direct experience. Mm-hmm. And these paintings especially because of all the reflective materials. So if I could find a way to offer not just an exhibition where people come and they look at the pieces, or of course that will be part of it, but to have an interactive experience. So a lot of these characters that have come out of this Alchemy Visions collection, I would love to see come to life in some kind of like Cirque du Soleil type environment where Mm -hmm. it happens around uh, the four paintings mm-hmm. and I visualized it in a way where you can put like stadium seating on the four corners yeah. so people can come and through the movement of the Cirque du Soleil type of performance wow. you learn about the paintings yeah. and also from sitting in that vantage point you get to look at the paintings in a different view yeah. in a you know, different angle and, new, and like I said with the reflective materials all these different things kind of come at you when you have a chance to like kind of immerse yourself in the paintings wow. so if I could find a way to have these type of immersive experiences mm. um, you know obviously looking at it um, and also these kind of um, you know Cirque du Soleil type shows but also even just some music mm-hmm. if you could have a concert um, based around the paintings, or I would love to have a tea ceremony like within mm. the paintings, and um, in the separate um, in the separate room, I'd love to be able to carry in a lot of these gigantic pieces of driftwood and rocks yeah. that I've carried, so to be in it. Right. Um, I always said that you have to kind of like live with the paintings in order for them to kind of speak to you. So if there's a way to offer okay. more than just coming into like a gallery and kind of looking at paintings, right. but if you could kind of live with the pieces, yeah. even if it's for like an hour or two. Right. So that's kind of my vision. Um, I love it. I love but, it. Tell, tell us a little bit about your cast of characters. I find this fascinating. Because <laughs> I do this on myself on a smaller oh, really? scale. But, but I love this. I mean, I'm sitting next to a five-foot piece of driftwood. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I mean, it has just like a personality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. And you lugged it off the beach and kind of chainsaw yourself. I did. <laughs> No, handsaw. Handsaw? I handsaw. That's it. a big, big trunk. You... It was not easy. Oh. It was not. I wow. thought it was going to be a lot easier. Um, wow. <laughs> and it luckily fit in my pocket. Yeah, and, and really tell heavy. us the story behind this because you had seen it for years. I had seen it for years. On the beach. On the beach. Um, and it was just so beautiful. And mm-hmm. I thought that it would just be the perfect piece. So much of what I do is rooted in nature. Mm-hmm. And when I, actually this time last year, I got to a point where, okay, I was ready to start like displaying them. Um, And originally I was going to put them on easels and things. And I said, oh, that just doesn't feel right. Uh So I went and collected all these pieces of driftwood and rocks in order Mm -hmm. to kind of display them on these kind of things. So this one piece was one that I had always kind of looked after. And I said, oh, 
I think that's part of the collection. I <laughs> thought it would be, it looks so beautiful as a sculpture, it and, so, is. and yeah. so um, it was attached to a 30 foot tree branch. Oh and um, I just sawed off the part that wouldn't fit in my car, and then I and luckily I did that because about a week or two later there was this epic storm wow. that we had. And all of the pieces of driftwood had either gone out to sea or were broken. Oh, so wow. I feel, Just I feel like I saved you it. You saved it. I love it. I love it. So the whole cast of characters that you okay. use as props and things. So I wanted to explore um, the qualities of light through nature, but also through human form. And I had done so many, you know, traditional portraits where, you know, someone sits for you. And okay. I wanted to be a little bit more free and I wanted to use my imagination mm -hmm. and I wanted to bring in these elements and study the kind of characteristics that nature presents through these these forms um, and kind of just be free and, and I, I love I love imagined, imaginative stories and myths mm -hmm. and lore and I did it in a little bit of a different way where I wasn't so committed to like okay well this is from Norse mythology and this is exactly this myth from like Greek mythology. I wanted to kind of take elements that I really kind of liked mm -hmm. and build the character off of um, the elements. Like so, for example, the, the guy with the headdress. Um, I knew he was like from the sea. Okay. But and I envisioned him having these kind of like antlers or horns, and I was like, well, if you're from the sea, like what would your antlers or horns be made of? And I was like, well, driftwood. Mm -hmm. So I collected mm -hmm. all this driftwood, and yeah. I kind of imagined like, well, he's got to have a scepter, and if he had a scepter, and he's coming from the ocean, like wouldn't he have like a skull of like a seagull on it? You know, wow. certain things like that. So you yeah. kind of play off these characteristics, and these characters kind of build and evolve like as you paint from them, mm. or as you paint them. So I just kind of explored, and I loved the idea of the headdresses because it allowed for um, the use of these reflective materials, mica and glass. Okay. And so when they're shown, they really kind of glow like it was yeah. a light source itself that you can, when you use these reflective materials, you can get like an additional value that you couldn't get with just paint. Right. You're right. almost getting like pure light coming right back at you. And that's kind of what I wanted to explore when I say I wanted to explore lights. Like I wanted to explore like, how to have light glow from the painting and not yeah. just use paint to do it. Okay, nice. So that was a process learning. Yeah, I went through. <laughs> yeah, that's why. some of it's so intensely precise. It's there was incredible. a part where I wasn't quite sure that certain things were going to work out, and I was like, I don't know if it's going to work. And wow. I, I just pressed on. I figured out a way. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's very impressive. <laughs> I can't wait for you to have a public show of all this. I would love to share it with it's, people. <laughs> yeah. So in the next five years, let's get this uh, traveling <laughs> exhibition off the road. Listeners, come on. Do you know anyone? <laughs> yes. Let's have a space and an event and let's do it. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you were in a magazine recently called Venu. Is that the name? I think the new Venu venue. venue. Not sure how to say it, but it's spelled E E N with an umlaut over the yeah. end, which I got really excited for because okay. anytime you can use an umlaut, you're like, I'm in. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that was the draw. So, I don't know if you've ever seen my signature, but I, yeah. because of my love of the umlaut, okay. instead of crossing my T, I dotted on either side. Oh. Totally misuse of the umlaut, but I loved it. And then I loved it so much, I also put it under the S. Oh. So, you that's, can do it. Why not? We're going to let okay. you. Okay. <laughs> I love I just love not it. anyone could but you can <laughs> so that was kind of a serendipitous event so I have a good friend um, who lives in Boston okay. and he saw just this flyer um, for this wonderful writer Lisa who writes for the magazine and unbeknownst to me he wrote to her and told me about told her about me mm -hmm. And she said, oh, this is so exciting. Let me tell my editor. And she was like, oh, we got to do a feature on her. And so they called me. And I said, well, uh -huh. of course. And I looked up their magazine. I had never heard of it before. It's actually a very elegant. I thought it was, too. Yeah, sold I all over the world, yeah. which was really exciting. I was like, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the interview process was really thorough. She had a lot of questions that mm -hmm. we wrote back and forth with. And um, 
Yeah, it's a really enriching experience, and I hope to do more of them. Yeah. So this is exciting. I, and I was, they did a great job. I, I read the whole thing. I was blown this. away. I had no idea because... It was very good. You submit things. Yeah. You have no idea what they're going to use I or how know, they're going to work. how they're interpreting. Yeah. <laughs> but it can be funny. You're kind of at their mercy. I was a little nervous, <laughs> but I had read Lisa's um, blog, and she was such a beautiful writer. Mm -hmm. And she was so... Um, thoughtful in her questions and we had multiple follow-up questions and mm -hmm. I thought oh she really cares yeah. and she really gets it and so I was really overjoyed with seeing that she captured kind of like what was in my heart and my yeah. intention for the series because it was the first time other than Instagram that I was sharing what right. I was doing right so that was exciting it is <laughs> and it just came out it's very exciting so people can look it up online or yep it's online um if you just go to the new the fall issue the new.com um, um, do you have a link to it on? I have a link to it on, on my Facebook. Facebook, okay. Um, right. And you can also order a print copy um, online. Nice. And I'll give you one before you leave. Oh, oh no, I'm psyched. <laughs> <laughs> that was exciting. Oh, boy. That is so exciting. Oh, and you can purchase it in New York, the Hamptons, Connecticut, and Florida. Wow. Um, but anywhere else you can order it online yeah. and I'll ship it to you. Very nice. Yeah, it's <laughs> so exciting. So to give us some some parting thoughts. Oh, do you yeah. Have something so, to share with us is I'm very much into on our journey. Yeah, sharing what we know because I think that it's our responsibility to learn and then share what we've learned that we found helpful so we can continue mm -hmm. to grow as artists and and grow this kind of language. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote, I recently wrote this book. Actually, I didn't recently write it. I wrote it a while ago and I recently updated it. Mm -hmm. So I have, I wrote this book for, um, so Wichita Center for the Arts has a painting of mine on display in their permanent collection in the Education Center, mm -hmm. um, part of the Mark Arts Foundation. And when they um, acquired the piece of art, I made a book for them that explained how the painting was made um, and some progress videos. And I wrote a letter to the students and the visitors at the museum um, sharing kind of what I have found helpful when I first started painting. There's a okay. list of books I recommend reading oh, and nice. some insightful um, advice that was shared to me that I wanted to, to pass along. And through this um, opening up my studios, a couple people had asked, um, well, can I have a copy of that book? And I said, well, I guess, why not? So I took it upon myself to um, redo the book and add a bunch more information, a bunch more step-by-steps. Oh. And I handmade a bunch yes. of copies. Okay. Um, and this is one of them. Beautiful. But in it, I wrote a book about, or a poem about the eternal student. And I thought it might be fitting for your podcast. Absolutely. We're all on this journey of learning about art. Um, and it's on a page. The poem is called The Eternal Student. And opposite is um, just a little quote and a picture of one of the paintings in the Alchemy Visions collection of a boat on the water. And it says, all comes through the balance of opposing energies. The Eternal Student. May you always withhold the innocence and inquisitive curiosity that parallels the beginning pursuits of knowledge. This is the energetic spirit of the student. It is sacred and the key to eternal growth and development. Regardless of the experience you acquire, always remain fluid. Stiffness and rigidity are surefire ways to limit possibility. Remember, there is always more to learn, always new paths to reveal. Yes, understand and be confident in your strengths, but allow them to serve as foundational supports. They will best serve you in your pursuits when they are the quiet, subtle bass notes rather than the lead vocals. Remember, there is always more to learn, always new paths to reveal. Hold true to the practice and remain forever in love with the process. Breathe. Everything ultimately returns to the breath. It is the life source. If you allow this to remain in your heart, you will always be home. Remember, there is always more to learn, always new paths to reveal. May you forever be guided by the spirit of the eternal student. It's beautiful. Really beautiful. Um, can you share about the books and, and that people can actually order? Some? The first edition is sold out. 
Okay. But I am going to be doing a second printing. And these are handmade. These are handmade, hand-sewn with this Japanese bookbinding technique that wow. I learned. All printed by myself in my office over there. Oh, my. Um, that is amazing. It, uh, the people that, this is my copy, but the people that ordered them, I hand, I personalized it with a personal note. Mm. And I signed each book. Um, I think it's like 38 pages. Um, wow. Beautiful. But I am going to be doing a second printing, and I'll be opening up ordering on, okay. online. Okay. I'm working on getting ordering through my website, but right now you can message me on Facebook yeah. or Instagram or my email, which can be found on my website. Okay. Um, and it just goes through the process of painting, and it shares mm. um, advice and insights into the painting process that I have found helpful. Um, I give a list in the letter to the students of books that I found um, were really beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I read one little excerpt yeah. from it? So sure. it says, um, study nature, learn to see the greatest teacher is mother nature herself. She holds all the answers within her infinite abundance. Mm. This knowledge is always at your disposal. However, she does not carelessly give herself away to the negligent. Edgar Payne stated it well when he wrote in his book on landscape painting the following, Nature does not capriciously scatter her secrets as golden gifts to lazy poets and luxurious darlings, but imposes tasks when she presents opportunities. Spend, and then I go on to say, spend ample time in nature, listen, study how she creates things, observe her intentions, marvel at her ingenuity and cleverness in her designs, cherish her beauty in all forms, realize that you and she are one and the same, Mother Nature will then reveal herself to you, I promise. Mm. So just little things like yeah. that. Yeah, and you do spend a lot of time in nature. I do. Yeah, I, I love that. She's the greatest yeah. teacher. Yeah, and the birch bark and all the, it's Oh, just yeah, we didn't even talk about the birch Gosh, bark. so much, so much. <laughs> oh, that's, is that on one of your videos? It is, okay. showing how I collected oh, it in the woods. It. I usually like to be okay. in the woods in the wintertime because okay. it's so pristine and clean with yeah. the snow. I know, I know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this has just been so wonderful. Thank you so much for coming. It means means so much to me. Thanks so much. And maybe in the future we will do another one. I would love for you to come back when I maybe have more of the other three, the remaining three finished. We can talk about it. Lovely. And I would love that. We'll hit a list of everything we missed on this. Like the bark. Put that on the (laughs) list. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. You got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.